Welcome to the STEM Sessions podcast. I am your host, Cody Colborn. The carbon and nitrogen cycle has long been on my list of potential topics, but I could never find a hook that you know, really captured my interest. And, and even though the transfer of nitrogen and other nutrients from the atmosphere to land and sea and back again is really the basis of life and our food supply, I just couldn't find something to be really curious about. And if I can't be curious about something, the research is boring. And if I find the research boring, I just can't be motivated to learn enough to make an episode of this podcast. But that recently changed when I found myself in a conversation about crop rotation, specifically a rule of thumb about needing to rotate winter wheat into a field of alfalfa every four years to, quote, replenish the soil, unquote. Now, crop rotation is a long-established and widely used method in agriculture, and this rule of thumb may have been totally accurate, but something just seemed off. Uh, the specific time period and the verb replenish just weren't sitting with me. And as I mentioned in the episode about rules of thumb, the longer a rule of thumb sticks around and are taken at face value, the question of why does it work tends to get asked less often. And when the initial understanding is lost, rules of thumb can be correct, but for the wrong reasons. And I suspected that might be the case here. So this episode describes my investigation into that rule of thumb, the questions I asked myself, the logic I used, and ultimately the correct answer, which oddly was known to the people I was talking to, but it's a piece of information they took as general knowledge and therefore didn't directly link it to the rule of thumb. This is the STEM Sessions podcast episode 26, Autotoxicity. Every four years, you need to rotate alfalfa with winter wheat in order to replenish the soil. That's the rule of thumb I was given by a few seasoned farmers recently. Now, whenever I use a guideline or a rule of thumb, I want to understand why it works and what limitations it might have. Are there any instances where it shouldn't be applied, for example? So when I asked why winter wheat, why four years, and what did they mean by replenish the soil, the answers I was given were a bit too hand-wavy. Now, it's not like I felt they were lying to me. They likely had just been using this rule of thumb for so long that they took its application for granted and were surprised that I wanted to know the science behind it. So after our conversation, I opened up a friendly neighborhood search engine and began teaching myself that science. For soil to be considered fertile, it must contain potassium, phosphorus, and nitrogen compounds. Now, I'm using the term compounds here to clarify that we're not necessarily referring to their elemental forms. Other minerals and factors contribute to fertile soil, of course, but these three nutrients are perhaps the most important because they are critical for chlorophyll production and for successful photosynthesis. When it comes to nitrogen, plants cannot efficiently use nitrogen from the atmosphere. It needs to be converted from N2 gas to compounds like ammonia, which can then be utilized by the plants. Atmospheric nitrogen is converted to these compounds naturally by bacteria in the soil. However, while enough is produced for a stable ecosystem of native plants, agriculture is a different story. 
When a field is used for crops, you have more plant mass per area than would be seen in a native ecosystem. So nitrogen is consumed faster than the soil bacteria naturally convert it. Thus, supplemental nitrogen needs to be added. To introduce a usable form of nitrogen to the soil, it's common practice to use a fertilizer high in nitrogen. Fertilizers will also typically include phosphorus and potassium. That's what the three numbers on a bag of fertilizer represent, the nitrogen-phosphorus-potassium, or NPK ratio by weight. For example, a 15-7-10 fertilizer contains 15% nitrogen, 7% phosphorus, and 10% potassium by weight. Drawbacks of adding such potent fertilizer is it can run off the field and into surface water, which can then lead to algal blooms and other ecological impacts. It can also be expensive to the point where adding it every year may be cost prohibitive. And this is true of both synthetic fertilizers and organic fertilizers. The only real difference between the two being synthetics contain a lot more NPK per weight than organics do. They're effectively more concentrated. An alternative to fertilizer are nitrogen-fixing plants. Nitrogen-fixing plants contain bacteria called rhizobia in their roots. This is a symbiotic relationship where the plant draws in atmospheric nitrogen and the bacteria convert the gaseous nitrogen to usable nitrogen compounds. These compounds are stored in nodules along the roots for the plant to use throughout its life cycle. Most times, more nitrogen compounds are produced than the plant needs, so when the plant dies, that nitrogen contained in the roots is released into the soil where it becomes available to other plants. Common nitrogen-fixing plants are found in the legume family. This family includes crops and garden plants such as soybeans, clover, peanuts, peas, beans, and alfalfa. So if alfalfa is a nitrogen fixer, it's already improving soil nutrients for whatever crop comes after it. And if that's the case, how does rotating a crop like winter wheat replenish the soil when that crop is consuming more nutrients than it will create? So maybe replenish the soil is meant more literally, as in winter wheat builds or creates soil. From the Crime Pays Botany Does It YouTube channel, which I recommend everybody watch because it's great, I've learned that native prairie grasses will send out roots over 10 feet deep, and this extensive organic matter decomposes and then adds matter to the soil. Winter wheat is a grass, originating from a prairie environment, though not the North American prairie environment, but maybe its roots go that deep and rebuild soil matter too. Now, many factors influence root growth, uh, soil composition and density, nutrient availability, water, sunlight, so studies of root depth show a range of results. But research shows winter wheat roots stretch around six feet on the deep end, but three feet seems more typical. Alfalfa, on the other hand, sends roots three or four times more deeply, up to 20 feet with max depth reached over multiple growing seasons. So rebuilding soil matter with decomposing roots is likely not the reason for rotating out alfalfa because alfalfa already produces more root material than winter wheat will. After more discussion and research, I determined that replenish is the wrong word to use and the better verb 
is reset or clean up the soil because alfalfa has evolved another property to help it survive in non-optimal soil and drought conditions, a property called autotoxicity. Alfalfa is a perennial plant, meaning the plant survives through multiple growing seasons. After a single growth cycle, the plant seemingly dies back, but some part, usually the roots, survives and allows the plant to re-sprout at the beginning of the next growing season. Alfalfa is also an angiosperm, which means it flowers and produces seeds. Those seeds are scattered by wind and animals, hopefully landing in a location where they will germinate. Germinating next to an existing alfalfa plant would create competition for nutrients and water, resulting in the first generation plant and the second generation plant exhibiting stunted growth. To prevent this competition from occurring, alfalfa produces chemicals that prevent other alfalfa plants from growing around it. The chemicals in question haven't been definitively identified, but research points to metacarpin, comarin, and collagenic acid as the likely culprits. It may be a combination of compounds rather than a single one as well. But regardless of which compound or compounds are responsible, the result is direct failure of germination in most seeds and severe damage to the roots of those seeds that do germinate. When the root system is damaged, the alfalfa plant may appear to grow more vigorously at first as it compensates, but its longevity and yield are drastically reduced. Now, the concentration of toxins in the soil has many factors. They are water-soluble, thus more rain and irrigation you, leads to less toxin buildup. Heavier soils hold on to the toxins longer than lighter soils. Soil disturbance also helps dissipate the toxins. So it can't be said definitively when toxin buildup is too much for new plants. But an experiment referenced by nearly all the papers I read shows that toxin buildup is the strongest within a half foot of the plant. And then it drops quickly outside of that range. This means that as the alfalfa crop ages, a field may only support one plant per square foot and profitable hay production requires four or five plants per square foot. That single plant will become less and less fruitful as it ages, and as long as it's alive, the soil is too toxic to reseed. And that's where rotating in a crop like winter wheat comes into play. Even a rotation of one year seems to be enough to reduce the concentration of toxins to an acceptable level. Two years gets rid of them entirely, according to some studies. And any crop that isn't alfalfa will get the job done because the chemicals are only toxic to alfalfa and only produced by alfalfa. Nothing else is affected by them. The reason winter wheat is specifically mentioned in the rule of thumb is winter wheat is one of the staple crops from that particular geographic area, but anything will work. Even killing the alfalfa with an herbicide and letting the field sit fallow or empty for a year will do it but you might as well plant something to take advantage of the nitrogen fixed by the alfalfa. How many years a single sowing of alfalfa will remain productive can't be calculated or predicted. There are too many variables such as rainfall and soil quality. If year after year you have near optimal growing conditions, those first generation plants will stay healthy and bountiful and you might get five or six years out of them. If you have Less than optimal conditions, those first-generation plants will age quickly and two years may be all you get. 
The rule of thumb that I was given specifies four years because that's been a traditional balance between alfalfa productivity and the cost of rotating the field in that specific area. But not only could the time period vary field to field, it can also vary decade to decade. As I said in my episode on rules of thumb, you should take the time to understand why a given rule of thumb works and when it doesn't. And once you know the logic behind it, you can make changes and improve results as conditions change. And to paraphrase the great G.I. Joe PSAs of old, knowing is half the battle. Thank you for listening to this episode of the STEM Sessions podcast. It was researched, written, and produced by Cody Colborn. Show notes can be found at thestemsessions.com, and feedback and corrections are always welcome. If you received value from this episode and wish to give some back, please visit thestemsessions.com slash value for value for ways to support the podcast. And please remember, STEM belongs to everyone. We should not allow it to be siloed or gatekept by experts, policymakers, or talking heads. Bias is found in every message, so always verify what you read and what you're told. Until the next episode, stay curious.